Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text for this morning's meditation comes to us from our Old Testament lesson in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Have you ever had one of those moments where you walked into the middle of a story or a joke that was being told, only to catch the end? And maybe the punchline gave you a little bit of a chuckle, but you couldn't help but think to yourself, man, if I could have heard the entire story or the entire joke, then perhaps I would have appreciated it like everyone else. Maybe a better example might be if you turn on the TV and you catch the middle of a movie. About ready to flip past it when you kind of caught your attention and you think, man, these characters aren't too bad. The plot seems to be pretty good. You still have the intention of turning it, flipping it on to something else, but you just can't. You you then put the remote down and you just keep watching. You watch it all the way to the end. You don't really know fully what's happening, but you're intrigued enough to find out how it's going to end. And then when it's all over, you think, man, that wasn't bad. I, I really wish I could go back and see the rest of it. I wish I could... Take the whole story and get everything put together to get the whole perspective to better understand what was really happening, to appreciate it all. Well, that's what we're trying to do as we are going through the story. We are trying to get a better understanding of what the scriptures are all about. Now, don't get me wrong. You can read the Bible uh, without going through the chronology. Sure, you could. I mean, you probably know enough about it to to catch some of the things, right? You can read the verses, the wages of sin is death, and know exactly what they mean. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But to truly get to the depths of all of this, we really not only have to keep it into context with the rest of the scripture, but we have to know the whole story. So, of course, every good story has to have a good beginning. That's where we find ourselves today, at the beginning, in the beginning. But what do we have in the beginning? See, this is really, really important, very critical, even in the opening verses of the scripture. We see who the key actor is by actor. I don't just mean character. No, he's more than an an actor or a character, but the one who is doing the action, the one who is doing things. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Now, typically when you're going through the Old Testament, you see the word God, usually we can kind of understand that to be the Father, right? But we know that it isn't just the Father. For John 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But not only was the Word there with the Father, but we see that the Word will eventually take on flesh and dwell among us, according to John chapter 1. So that Word that was there from the very beginning, that spoke creation into existence, that Word took on flesh, which is Jesus. What we see is at the beginning, you have the Father, the Son was there, the Word, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. Where the waters came from, I don't know. You'll have to ask God that when you get up there but you probably won't care. But in the beginning, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're the ones that are present. They are the actors. They're the ones causing the action. They are orchestrating all of this. Now, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to go into the creation versus evolution debate. 
Uh, you can come to our midweek discussion on Wednesday or Thursday, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about that a little bit. Not really my forte. But God's word says six days he created it. I'm going to believe it, right? Boom, let there be light. There's light, the expanse, there's the plants, there's the animals, those in the sea, those on the ground, those in the air, right? All this is done in six days, boom. That's when we see how beautiful it is, right? But it says after each day, what? It's what? Good. But not just good. See, my kids give me that answer when I ask them how school was today. Oh, it was good. That's not what it means when it says good. It means good, right? God made light, pure light. No evil involves kind of light. Light that our eyes have never seen before. See, everything in this world is tainted since the fall of man. Everything was good. Plants, good. The sea, good. Mankind, not just good, very good. This is God's plan here. Mankind, to oversee creation, uh, represent God to the rest of creation, take ownership of it, treat it well, be good stewards of the creation because it's God's creation, but, but man is now in charge of it. This is very good and God rests. But you know what I love about this is that God reaches down and he creates man. See, man, it's a little bit different, different than what you see with the rest of creation. Let there be, let there be, let there be. But then there's man. God wants to be intimately involved. I don't know what spiritual hands look like, but God's hands formed man from the dust of the earth. And this little personal touch breathes in man the breath of life. You see that? That intentionality there? So incredible. What that says then is God intentionally created mankind, but it also means he intentionally created you. I don't know if you ever really thought about it or not, but I hope you have. In spite of what your parents might have said, (laughs) you are not an oops baby. You are not an accident. You weren't a mistake. Maybe some other harsh words that you might have heard either growing up or now that you're older. I don't know what people might have said to you, but God said, nope, I'm creating you exactly as you are with all of your abilities, with the way that you look exactly as you are. Yes, I've created you purposefully, intentionally, because that's how much God loves us. Not an accident. No way. He creates man in his own image. Now, again, kind of need to hit this hard. It's not like light said, please allow for me to shine. It's not like the plant said, please allow for me to sprout from the earth. It's not like the giraffe said, please create me and create me with a long neck. And the zebra said, hey, me too, but with stripes. It's not like mankind said to God, please, come on, make me the star of your creation. I'm ready to govern. No, God did all. All of this, he created it. He wanted to share his love with creation and he created it and had this beautiful relationship with creation. Not standing from a distance, but what? Being close, close and personal with creation as he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. What a great thing that God did. 
Man did not institute this. Creation did not institute this. This is all God working. Now, why is that important? Because of this. We have to see this from the very beginning. This is God's story. It's about God. It's about what God does. It's not a story that's centered on you individually or me individually. Thankfully, we get brought into the story, don't we? Absolutely. But this is a story about God and his mercy and his greatness and his will, which is far better than ours and what we could come up with. This is a story about God. See, the problem is this is going to change rather quickly. We can't get too full on ourselves because when we try to do things our way, that's when bad things happen. Here comes Adam and Eve, right? It's amazing. We're talking about individuals that have the the best relationship with God in terms of this side of heaven that we could possibly imagine or understand, far beyond what we could understand. I mean, there is no sin, there, there is no tainted relationship that they have with one another or with creation or with God. Everything is just perfect in this flow, in this system. My guess is if we were to look back on that creation, if we could somehow get a peek of it with our eyes, we'd probably cry at what we lost. But that brings us to this other character, the serpent. Now it says here that the serpent is craftier than all of the other beasts of the field. Not a bad word, right? Crafty. Jesus himself would say of the evil one that he would be able to deceive the very elect if it were possible. Now, it's not possible because God's grace for you is greater than the evil one's ability to strip us away from God. But we do fall, don't we? We do believe that deception. We do believe the words that he says. We, we fall. He is so cunning, isn't he? Thankfully, God's grace is bigger. He must be cunning to be able to go to these individuals, Adam and Eve, who have not sinned, who have not fallen in any way, who have been basking in God's love, who has shown to be faithful. And he gets them to believe that, that there's a better way, a better life than what they're experiencing. Right? Put down this relationship that you have with God. No, this can be better. See, you could have the power. You can be God. You can be greater. You can have the authority. See, now all of a sudden they think their story needs to get better. They need to make their lives about themselves instead of one another and instead of God. And that fruit is so tempting. They take the bite. They take the bait. Everything's changed. Creation is going to be corrupt, isn't it? Now all of a sudden they have to work really hard while they're in the garden. The the thorns and the thistles and the weeds, they're going to be popping up. They're kicked out of the, the Garden of Eden. They can't live there anymore. They can't live forever because things are now changing. Uh, they realize their nakedness. They, they start to hide now from God. They have to put clothing on themselves because they realize their nakedness. They realize the shame. See, none of this stuff was there before. It wasn't present. But now it is as mankind tries to make things their way instead of trusting in God and God's way and his plans. And as the story unfolds in chapter 1, we see how, how quickly it escalates. How quickly Cain and Abel Cain especially will turn on his brother Abel. 
Instead of thinking about, hey, how he might bring a proper sacrifice to God, instead he just eliminates the competition. He kills his brother. And then you get to Noah, faithful Noah, who's known for being righteous. And God says, you know what? Yeah, this world is so horrific. People aren't honoring me. And he's right. I'm just going to get rid of all of it. I'm going to start over just with these individuals, with Noah, his sons, my wife, or Noah's wife, and his children's wives. And there, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to start completely over, except with this righteous family. Kills everybody. But see, there's a problem still. It doesn't take away the sin factor. It's already there. It's already in the veins of mankind, isn't it? As righteous as Noah is, he's still not perfect. He's still not godly. Not in the purest form. He's still a child of Adam and Eve. A couple generations removed, but the sin remains. It doesn't come out. See, that's where the story really takes a turn. This great creation, this beautiful creation, this creation that was really good becomes turned around. Right? Just like that. And we know it doesn't stop with Noah. Nor does it stop with his descendants, nor does it stop with the nation of Israel. And it hasn't stopped before it has reached us either, has it? I mean, we can tell, (laughs) we can tell stories about how cunning that serpent, that evil one actually is, can't we? I mean, think about it. What are some of the lies that you've been led to believe? Perhaps while you were lying awake at night, you're led to believe some of the things that the evil one pours into our minds and thoughts like, you're not worthy, you're unlovable, you can't be helped. What are some of the lies that you've been led to believe while you are looking your spouse in the eye and in anger and in rage? It's kind of like someone is back there behind you telling you, go ahead, let them have it. Be angry, scream, holler. They deserve it. And you do it. And in the end, it's just not worth it, is it? In the end, it wrecks the relationship. It doesn't lead to reconciliation. What are some of the lies that you've been fed, led to believe that maybe that look, that maybe that glance, that maybe the the viewing of that certain material is okay, that it's not going to hurt your marriage, that it's not going to damage your relationship with God? What are some of the lies that you've been led to believe? And by the way, in saying this, I'm not excusing us at all, right? I'm not one to say that it is the devil's fault, right? We should be able to say no. We know the truth. We know God's word. But the reality is we are corrupt. And sometimes when we we hear these lies, we want them to be true because we want to taste some of what the world has to offer. Because just maybe if we taste it, maybe if we try some of it, Maybe we'll see that God has been withholding some of these things from us for a reason. Maybe it's not that bad. But every time we taste it, whatever the lie may be, it kills. It destroys. It's it's what it does. Already just a few short chapters in in the scriptures, just one chapter. In the story, we see how quickly creation falls. 
However, we also see that God's grace isn't very far. No, even from the beginning, we see it there. In their shame, they're naked, right? They uh, put the fig leaves together. They cover themselves. But what does God do? I see this is where context matters. Remember what I said? The wages of sin is death. Yeah, great verse. We should know what that means, but put it into context here. Something has to die. So God kills an animal to properly cover man and female so that they might actually have a good covering. They have a, a better sense of pride that their shame has been hidden. Even though uh, man and woman has, has done this, God still showers them with grace and compassion. Even though mankind is completely corrupt and God could have wiped them over the face of the earth and could continue to do that today, he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to create a new covenant after the floods subside. He puts that bow or sees that bow in the sky, the rainbow, and says, you know what? Never am I going to flood the earth again. Noah didn't ask for this covenant. The people didn't ask for this covenant, but God is the one who is acting. He is the one who the story is about. He comes to his people and he says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. This is going to be my love. He does that for Adam and Eve when they're in the garden, when they're trying to hide and run away from God. God comes and shows himself to them. He wants to start anew, which is why he says to the serpent, your head is going to be stomped. Even though you are going to strike the heel, you will be destroyed. Because God has this other covenant in mind as well, that he is going to come to his people yet again. Not because they're asking for it, not because we were crying out for it, not because the nation of Israel came up with this great idea and said, please, please send your son, your only son into the world to save us. No, this is God's plan. This is his action. The wages of sin is death, and God is willing to face that death, to take on that death for you and for me. Before we could ask for it, before we could seek it out, before we could seek him out, he says, I'm going to dwell with my people yet again. Not just come close to them and walk with them in the cool of the day, but I'm going to send the word to take on flesh, to dwell among mankind, and then to die for mankind. So that, yes, we could be covered with this covenant. Not a rainbow in the sky, but covered by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was, is connected to another great water covenant, the covenant of holy baptism, where God covers you with his name. As you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name that has been there from the very beginning is the name that continues to abide with you, not because of how great we are, but because of how great he is. See, what a great story. And it's not just a story. This is the reality of God's love for you. That's why it's so important that we see that this is not about us and how great we are and how we act. But primarily speaking, this is a story of God's action. What God has done for you. And therefore, we do not need to look back at the paradise lost and weep, but instead look forward to the paradise that we know is awaiting for us. When yes, we will 
probably have tears, but not tears of sorrow, but tears of joy as our Lord God will bring us home to be with him forever. All right, friends, keep reading. Let me know if you uh, need a book. I'd love to connect you all with a book as we have chapter two coming up next week. All right, God's peace.